0: The parables of Jesus, we're going to we're going to go through the parables of Jesus. We're going to continue on with this series and today's is the power to change lives. Bob heard a rumor that his father, his grandfather and his great grandfather had all walked on water on their 21st birthdays. So on his 21st birthday, Bob and his good friend Brian headed out to the lake. And he said to himself, if they can do it, I can too. When Bob and Brian arrived at the lake, they rented a boat and they began paddling out to the middle of the lake. And when they got to the middle of the lake, Bob stepped off the side of the boat and nearly drowned. Furious and embarrassed, he and, Bob, or he and his friend Brian, they headed back home. When Bob arrived back at the family farm, he asked his grandmother for an explanation Grandma, he said, why can't I walk on water like like my father and his father and his father before him? And the feeble old grandmother took Bob by the hands, looked into his eyes, and simply explained, well, that's because you were born in July, dear. Your father, grandfather, and great-grandfather were all born in January. (laughs) And sometimes we make assumptions based on only part of of the information or false information, and it can lead to some embarrassing, difficult, and even disastrous situations. However, when we have all the facts, when we have accurate information, things seem to make more sense. We make wise and well-informed decisions, and we're blessed with a certain level of confidence, joy, and peace because of that. Now, it's my hope and my prayer for today's message that this will happen for us. That as I give this message, I really hope that for some of us here today, some of the pieces in this puzzle called Christianity are going to kind of come into place. You're going to be able to see this thing, Christianity, differently than you did before you came here today. That's my hope with this message. I believe that for some of you here today, this will be the most important message you'll ever hear me teach. And the reason is that I'm going to try very hard to present for you an accurate and complete account of salvation. In fact, that's really the purpose of this parable that we're going to talk about today. Jesus wants his followers to understand when they accept and embrace the facts of true salvation... They should expect change. They should expect change. Now, let's go right to the text here. I'm just going to read it. It's just a few short verses. Luke 5, 36. And it starts here. He says, He told them this parable. When one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it uh, on a... Well, It says, no one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he'll have torn the new garment. And the patch from the new will not match the old. And then Jesus says this, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new for he says, the old is better. This is a fascinating parable. This is one of my favorite parables. And it seems the more I study it, the more challenging it becomes. Now, I want you to try very hard today to think with me as we go through this teaching. Mike did a wonderful job last week challenging us to think as he presented his message. And I was encouraged Mike uh, showed us. Mike Fields showed us how many times or many times Jesus said this. What do you think? And then he would present a parable. Or what do you think about this situation? And so Jesus wants us to think. And with these parables, that's what Jesus does. He's he's giving us an example, and then he says, What do you think now? How how, how do you think about this situation? How would you react? And so Jesus wants us to think about these parables, to apply these things to our own lives. Now, in biblical times, wine was put into leather bottles called wineskins. You've seen those around. And because new wine expands as it ferments, it was usually put into new wineskins, which was soft and pliable and could expand with the wine. New wine and a new wineskin. Over time, the wineskin would begin to dry out and become hard. And if you put new wine into an old wineskin, it was going to ruin that wineskin and you'd lose the wine. The same is true of using a, a piece, of, piece of cloth to repair a hole in an old garment. You, you don't do that. Because the new cloth shrinks when it's washed. And because it's stronger than the old cloth, it's going to tear an even larger hole in the garment. So Jesus uses these two analogies to teach us a very very important lesson about the gospel, and that is this. The gospel is a radical and life-changing power that demands certain changes from us. Number one, the gospel will change your life forever. The word gospel means good news. It's the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus came as Savior of the world. The Bible teaches that we all like sheep. In Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity or the sin of us all. Isaiah 53, 6. The gospel. We have a Savior. Jesus died in our place. That is good news. Jesus once stated a very important thing concerning salvation. He said this in, in John fourteen six. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, the truth is that salvation is very limited, restricted, and exclusive. People don't like to hear that, but it's true. Salvation is limited, restricted, and exclusive. It's only possible through Jesus Christ or because of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 6:13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through that. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And he said, only a few find it. The words of Jesus Christ. In January 1985, there was a large suitcase, unmarked and unclaimed, discovered at the customs office at Los Angeles International Airport. And when the custom agents opened the suitcase, they found the curled-up body of an unidentified woman. She'd been dead for a few days, according to the county coroner. And as the investigation continued, it was learned that the woman was the wife of a young Iranian living in the United States. Unable to obtain a visa to enter the United States and join her husband, she took matters into her own hands and actually attempted to smuggle herself into the United States via an airplane's cargo bay. While her plans seemed to her simple, though risky, officials were hard-pressed to understand how such an attempt could ever succeed. And even if she survived the journey in the cargo bay, she would still remain an illegal alien, having entered through improper channels. Now, much in the same way, some people, perhaps most people, believe that they can enter the kingdom of God on their own since they've been reasonably good citizens or church attenders. But entry plans to enter heaven by our own design prove not only foolish, but fatal. Our Bibles say this, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Ephesians 2.8 For it is by grace... You've been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Salvation is grace and faith coming together. Let me take that first part, grace. The word grace comes from the Greek word charis. And its general meaning is a gift that brings joy. And that's what our verse says. It is a gift of God. Grace is a gift. The best way to understand grace as a way of salvation is to explain it in contrast to its alternative, which is law. There's only two options, law and grace. And to understand grace, we should understand its alternative, which is law. Law says this. Law says you have to do in order to have. Grace says you simply accept what's already been done. In referring to Christians, the Apostle Paul once said this. He's talking to Christians. He says, you are not under the law, but under grace. The truth is that as Christians, we are relating to God in terms of grace. while everyone else in the world is still under law. The difference between the two is summed up in Romans six twenty three. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our our Lord. And the key words here are wages and gift. Wages and gift. Those relating to God in terms of wages will eventually get what they've earned or deserve. By their works during this earthly life. This is the law system. The only other option is to receive God's gift, which is grace. Now, most people that I share the gospel with believe that they're going to heaven because of what they can do or because of what they're doing. In other words, they believe that they're going to heaven because of their own efforts. I don't lie, they might say, or I don't steal. I try to treat others the way I would want to be treated. I go to church. And without realizing it, most people are trying to get to heaven under the system of law. I'm good enough. I can earn this. I can do it. And they don't realize that's they fall under the law. If if you're outside of grace, you're under the law. And most people think this way. That is, they're trying to do in order to have. That's what the law is. They think they can get to heaven because of what they do. The problem with this is that they can't. Plain and simple, you can't. And the reason is that the system of law operates according to the strict dictates of God's holiness. The required standard is perfection. Nobody can obtain that. And that's what makes religion, religion. All religions promise something, whether it's nirvana, reincarnation, higher enlightenment, or eternal life. And with all religions, you have to either know enough or do enough in order to obtain what they promise. Every religion in the world. Only Christianity has grace. Only Christianity has grace. Only in Christianity is the promise of eternal life dependent upon something outside of man's efforts. In every religion other than Christianity, the promise of that religion is always contingent upon man's attempt to achieve or to earn what is offered. And this is what Jesus confronted over and over again in the lives of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And this is also the thrust of much of the Apostle Paul's teaching. And the reason this was such a big emphasis in Jesus' teaching and the Apostle Paul's teaching, the reason is because this was the normal Jewish way of thinking about salvation at the time. Our Bibles have a Jewish flavor to them. The culture's Jewish. And this is what the Jewish people knew. They knew the system of law. They were very familiar with it. Judaism was not unlike every other religion. It required certain things to be done. Obedience to the law in order to obtain what was promised. Now, listen to how Paul explains that this is wrong. In Galatians 2:15 and 16, he says, and he's talking, again, listen to how he says this, "We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, know that a man is justified, not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ. And not by observing the law. And then he says this, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. It's impossible. You can't do it. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. While Christianity is God's attempt to get to man. See the difference? Grace. Grace. We don't need to study a whole bunch of other religions to be able to confront people who are Muslim or, or Buddhist or whatever they are. Just no grace. Just no grace in Christianity. That's that's what we need to know. Because no other religion in the world has grace. Only Christianity. Christianity is the only religion with grace. That is, it's the only means of salvation that does not depend on man's efforts alone to earn but rather God's love, mercy, and good favor upon man. Now, let me talk for a moment about the second part here in Ephesians 2, 8, through faith. There's really two parts to salvation. God's part and our part. God's part is making it possible by grace. Our part is accepting God's grace by faith. Salvation is free in the sense that it's undeserved. However, it is not free in the sense that it is unconditional. That it does not require us to do something. There are conditions to salvation. We often hear people quickly say or quickly claim that um, salvation is a free gift because you can't earn it. However, salvation is still contingent upon doing certain things. Another way to look at this is that God's love and grace are unconditional. In other words, you don't have to do anything to get God to love you. You don't, you don't have to do anything to To get God to extend His grace to you. God's love and grace are available regardless of what you do. Of what you do. But just because God loves you, does that mean you're saved? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. God loves the world, does that mean the whole world is saved? No, it doesn't. Just because God's grace is available and unconditioned does not mean you're saved, for it is by grace you've been saved. And then the second part of this verse says through faith. By grace, through faith, there are certain biblical conditions placed upon salvation. In other words, there are certain conditions required in order for a person to receive or benefit from God's grace. God's part is. In salvation is creating the means of salvation, which is through grace. And man's part is to accept God's gift of grace, which is done only, only, only through faith. However, it's very important, once again, for us to remember that faith and belief are not the same thing. Faith is what we choose to do because of our belief. And this is why James says faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by actions or deeds, is, is 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 dead it's impossible there's no there's no such thing with faith without deeds it, it does not exist faith is necessary for salvation and deeds of obedience are necessary for faith and this is why Jesus said if you love me you'll obey what i command john 1415. This is why the common practice of just accepting Jesus into your heart or praying the sinner's prayer are really only distortions of the true gospel message. And the reason is, well, first of all, it's not even biblical. Secondly, the true gospel message always requires faith in order to be saved. You cannot be saved without faith. Not just belief, faith. The, the biblical requirements for salvation is, is more than just believing. Biblical requirements for salvation are believing enough to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Not just with your lips, but with your life. Believing enough to repent. Believing enough to be baptized. Believing enough to live in an ongoing, obedient life through faith or because of faith. And by the way, those are all commands of Christ. Christ. Just remember, a a gift, just because a gift is conditioned upon obedience does not mean that you earn it. Just because there's conditions to any gift does not mean you earn that gift. I just proved that with the kids. Salvation cannot be earned, but there are conditions. This is why I appreciate the ministry of his house Christian fellowship so much. I've been exposed to the different ministries on campus. And I'll tell you what, uh, I believe that his house is the only one that I know of on campus. And I, I know them. I know the big, big ones. I believe they present the full gospel. I believe that they present this idea of faith is necessary for salvation. Not just belief, but faith. There's conditions that have to be met for salvation. And I believe that ministry teaches that. And I really, it's, it's good. I, you know, I'd been waiting for John, my son, to shoot his first deer before I, I I told him he could have my my rifle. It's a Ruger 243. It's it's a beautiful rifle and has a beautiful scope on it. And the rifle is probably worth about a thousand dollars because it, it it's it's really nice. And I told my son, I said, you know, when you shoot your first deer, I'm going to give you this rifle. Well, he shot his first deer this year. <laughs> they had the youth hunt, and so he now owns my. Beautiful rifle. <laughs> I had to give him the rifle because I had made a deal with him. And he 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 shot the deer and so I gave him the rifle. Did did John earn that rifle? Did he did he earn it? Did he does he deserve that rifle? See, he, he doesn't he didn't earn the rifle. He doesn't deserve that. It came from me as a gift, but he did make meet the condition. I had one condition shoot your first deer. That's all it was for him to receive that. He shot his first deer. See, here's what happens. To suggest that he earned that rifle only cheapens the value of the gift. In this case, a rifle. In God's case, grace. To suggest he earned uh, that gift shows a lack of appreciation for the gift. That he could somehow earn the gift because he shot his first deer? It must not be much of a rifle. It's not based on him earning it. It was a gift from me. There was only one condition. Shoot your first deer and it's yours. He didn't earn it in the sense that he deserves it. You may say, well, he met the condition. That's different. I guess you could say, yeah, he earned it because he met the condition. But that's not what I'm talking about. He just met the condition. He doesn't deserve that rifle. It's It's a gift. So we offer conditional gifts all the time. Birthdays, anniversaries, baby showers, graduations. We give gifts contingent upon the receiver doing something all the time. We do this all the time. That, that, that does not mean that it's not a gift or that they earned it. We should understand and accept salvation in the very same way. Listen to how Paul explains this. The necessity of both faith and grace. He says, and this is in Galatians 2, 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live a surrendered life, but Christ lives in me. And then he says this, the, the life I live, there's the action, there's the deeds, the life I now live in the body. He says, I live how? By faith, faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he says this, you can always put it. Over, I do not set aside the grace of God, however, I, the grace of God is still necessary. The grace of God is still a, a part of this equation, so He makes His readers understand. Now, remember, Jewish readers—they're—they're they're okay with this idea of obedience, and but He's saying, "No, wait, wait! I don't set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So, faith and grace come into—our so salvation is dependent on faith and obedient life, a surrender life, or a changed life are necessary marks of any true Christian. Um, I'm gonna. Jump down through this a little bit here. Changed life. Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. If anyone is is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Same. That's the change in a believer's life. There should be change. This should change us. Uh, I remember my dad took me fishing years ago for salmon, and um, it used to be legal in a couple of places downstate to actually snag salmon. And we would go, this was when I was a kid, a teenager, even before that, we'd go salmon snagging. And the guys would line up on the river with their big heavy-duty poles, and I'm not kidding, you know, huge treble hooks. And they're casting them all, and they're lined up, hundreds of guys. And they're just, <laughs> you're bringing these hooks in, and sometimes they're coming by you. And it's like, man, someone's going to get killed here. But I remember one time a guy caught a hook in his hand. a treble hook it went right in his hand and as a kid I'm thinking man that's just horrible I mean it it was it was I couldn't they had to you get a barb a fish hook barb in your hand you have to push it through and then either bend the barb down or cut it off and bring it back you can't pull a barb back through your your hand and here's this fella pushing this big old fish hook through his skin of his hand and I'm just a little kid thinking eee let's get out of here you know this reminds me of the Christian. We only move forward. We're like fish hooks. We, get, we, we can only go forward. We should only go forward in our faith. We should, we should expect the change. We ought to embrace this change and look forward to this change. The change of a radically different lifestyle as a Christian. Why well, go back to that sinful lifestyle when that's what Christ died to take away. The old is gone. The new has come. There's new life in Christ. And... Um, You know, uh, you, you can't just add Christianity to your old life where it's comfortable or convenient. Christianity is not supposed to be comfortable or convenient. It's supposed to change us and make us different, more like Jesus. Becoming a Christian is the most dramatic change you'll ever undergo. Supernatural renovation of your fallen human nature. When you become a Christian, you begin a lifelong process that will transform you down to the very core of your being. Be prepared to be stretched. For that's exactly what new, the new wine of the gospel will do when Christ comes into your life. Number two, the gospel will change your beliefs. group of tourists were traveling through Europe, visiting historical sites. And they were impressed that so many small villages were birthplaces of great artists and poets and composers and political leaders. And while the group was strolling through a particular picturesque village, one of the tourists approached a man who was sitting in front of a building and asked, excuse me, sir, but were any great men or women born in this village? And the old man thought for a moment and replied, no, only great babies. See, everyone starts off as a baby with the opportunity to grow into greatness. And this is not only true of the world, but also in the kingdom of God. When we become Christians, we're born again as babies in Christ, but we have to grow. And Paul wrote this. Paul said in 1 Corinthians Street 2, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. And, and these words were written to adult believers. And yet Paul still addressed them as mere infants. We can't stay babies forever. We need to grow up. And the writer of Hebrews said this, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Let's go on. Let's move on to maturity. And that's why it's important for us to study our Bibles, to to meditate on God's Word and then to apply it to our lives. That's how we grow. It's uh, all great men and women of the faith started out just like you. They started out as babies in their faith. Now, the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day found it difficult to accept His teaching because their minds had been hardened by centuries of ritual and tradition. They had replaced God's Word with their own opinions. And so, you know, they couldn't even see the truth when it was standing right before their very eyes. And as a result, Jesus condemned them for setting aside the commands of God in order to observe their own traditions in Mark 7, 9. And the truth is that many churches and denominations are more concerned with conservative rules, regulations, and standards than they are truly surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Change must happen from the inside out. Now, follow me on this point. This is very important. This is the change from the inside out. This is really the main difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Testament was concerned with rules, regulations, and laws for holiness. It was only a foreshadow of what was to come. The New Testament deals with the heart of a man, the inner man. The Old Testament was concerned with conformity to laws and regulations. In other words, outward appearances. It's not that the Old Testament was wrong. It's just that without, listen closely, without the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, it's all it could do. It's all it could do. Jesus quoted Isaiah the prophet in Matthew 15. He said this, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And then Jesus goes on to say this For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands, that doesn't make him unclean. See, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were all concerned because Jesus and his disciples had broken the tradition of ceremonially washing their hands before eating they didn't do it and they got all upset they hang on a second you're breaking the law and Jesus is saying that's not what makes a man righteous all the Pharisees could see before them was rules to be followed in order to obtain righteousness when the very prince of righteousness was standing right before them the writer of Hebrews explains all of this very clearly when he quotes the prophet Jeremiah. I'll read from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8 through 13. It says this, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. And he says this, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Listen to this. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a, a man his brother saying, I know the Lord, but they will all know me from least of them to the greatest. How could that possibly be through the power of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit? That's how that's how for I will forgive their wickedness. I will remember their sins no more. And then he says this by calling this new this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete in an aging will soon disappear and praise God it did because as Paul says in Romans 3.20, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we only become conscious of sin. That's what the law does. That's the purpose of the law, to point out our need for a Savior. The purpose of the law is to declare us guilty so that we go to the Savior. We see our need for a Savior. Isn't that beautiful? We still need a Savior, Jesus Christ. We still need interchange. We still need new hearts. Remember, change must happen from the inside out. It's only possible with God's power, the power of the Holy Spirit working from within the life of a Christian. The indwelling presence is, was not available in the Old Testament. And it's sad, but most people who miss heaven miss it, miss it by 18 inches. And that's the distance from here to here. Their head to their heart. They're stuck In the Old Testament system of law. That's the only way they can think of this. Oh, I'm good enough. I'll I'll go to church. I won't lie or steal. That'll get me there. I have to do in order to have. Now, why do I share all about this for traditions and regulations and standards, all these things? Why, Why am I talking about this today? Because for many people, those things are a trap. They lure us in and they capture our hearts. And that's why Apostle Paul warned us, in, and he says in Colossians 2 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition and basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Traditions, rules, and regulations can become a tremendous hurdle. They can become a tremendous barrier that separates us from true freedom in Christ and ultimately true and lasting and refreshing change from within. Peter recorded in Acts. Chapter 3 saying this, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And he says this, And that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Some of us here this very day may need to repent and truly turn away from religion with all of its regulations, rules, and humbly turn to God, accept Jesus, only Jesus, in genuine repentance. And I have a feeling that some of us here have been just going through the motions of religianity or churchianity without truly turning and trusting Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And we need to drop all that stuff and turn to Jesus in faith, true faith, and surrender our hearts to Him. Suppose maybe you've never experienced the refreshing that comes from the Lord. You want to know why? Because you have yet to surrender. You're still think you still thinking in terms of the law. We can't do that. Term number three, and this is a quicker one. Almost done here. The Gospel will change this church. Now let's review the simple truth. When people in this church share the good news about Jesus Christ, others will accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Not all, but some. And this church will grow. Be advised, change is inescapable when growth takes place. And if we're truly fulfilling the Great Commission in our lives, our church will never be the same and nor should it. Nor should it. I don't want us to get comfortable in this church. I want us to be open to change. Because if we're doing our job, that's exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be uncomfortable. Things are going to happen that are going to make us uncomfortable. And that's where we want to be. Two caterpillars were crawling across the grass when a butterfly flew over the top of them. They looked up and one nudged the other and said, man, you couldn't get me up one of those things for a million dollars. And that's how we think about change, isn't it? I don't want it. I don't want it. That's how we look at change. It's risky. What if it gets more difficult, John? What if I don't like the change? Hey, Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself. Deny Himself. Let's not forget what's at stake here. We're not talking about our own happiness. We're talking about the eternal destiny of other people's souls. We need to be willing to change. And change is inescapable when growth takes place. The very first Christian church in Jerusalem experienced change of rapid growth, expanding from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 members in just a few months. The first Jewish Christians also had to face radical changes when, when, when the, uh, the Gentiles began to accept Christ and become part of the church. Boy, that really threw them off for a while. You mean this is open to, to non-Jews? I mean, we thought this was kind of a private thing here for the Jews. And it wasn't. It was for everybody. Change change is not only the effect of growth, it's also the prerequisite for it new method new tools new ways of organizing and ministering are constantly needed if this church is to be effectively effective at reaching our community for Christ our job is to take this gospel that never changes to a world that never stays the same Paul says this he says though I am free and this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9:19 9, Though I am free and I belong to no man I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews to those under the law I became like one under the law though I myself am not under the law as to win those under the law to those not having the law I became like one not having the law though I am not free from I am though I am free I am not free from God's law but under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul begins and ends that passage by clearly laying out his motive, motivation for forfeiting his rights. And that is to win as many people as he can to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and no one could question Paul's motives here. He was willing to give up whatever rights he had in order to win the world to Jesus Christ. And because of that, it was a priority in his life. He was passionate about it. So my question for us is, are we? Are we passionate about this like Paul was? Are we so passionate about sharing the gospel that we're willing to forfeit some of our rights? I'm afraid we're not. I'm afraid I'm not. There's, there's times when I'm not. I'll, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll be first to admit that. And I hang on to my rights in a selfish way. And the, and the, the whole time, people are dying. And, and, and they're uh, separated from God for all eternity. But hey, I've got my rights. Boy. I'm convinced that when it comes to evangelism, how committed we really are to reaching other people is revealed by how willing we are to give up our rights and especially our right to comfort. And you see, if we're as committed as the Apostle Paul was to reaching people for Jesus Christ, we will have made it a priority. We won't have a problem giving up our right to comfort. In fact, you know what's going to happen? We're going to count it a privilege. We're going to start to look forward to it. Just like the Apostle Paul, Jesus is interesting as Jesus wraps this parable up. Um, Jesus recognized that all of us are naturally resistant to change. Look at that last sentence it 's so interesting in uh, thirty nine in verse thirty nine Jesus concludes the parable with this these words: He says, "No one after drinking old wine wants the new. He says the old 's better." <laughs> There's a very powerful reluctance of most people to change from traditional religious ways and truly surrender to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a reluctance there. As we are faithful to the gospel, God's word will continue to change us. And as our church is faithful to the Great Commission by winning people to Christ, we will continue to undergo change. To do that gracefully, we must be flexible, patient, and positive and may god continually renew and refresh us so that we're always ready for the new blessings blessings that he's going to send us through the life-changing power of the gospel individually are you willing to change are you willing to do things differently for jesus are are you willing to step away from religiosity and churchianity and truly surrender to jesus as savior and also as a church, as a, whole, as a community of believers, as a body of believers, are we willing to change? As a church, are we willing to do things differently? During your communion today, ask yourself if Jesus is Lord of your life, Master of all that you are. And if not, now is the time for you to remake that commitment. The emblems, the bread and the juice, they represent Christ's body that was broken as blood that was shed on the cross for you and me. It was through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that He's made it possible for us to have a relationship with the Father. And our time of communion is open to everyone who surrendered his or her life to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your, your words and how they challenge us. And Lord, I would just pray that um, you, you would help us to live these truths out in our own lives. And Father, I, I know... Um, maybe uh, perhaps some of the things I spoke on today were a bit unsettling for some of us here, and maybe we understand salvation in a different way. Father, I pray this with all sincerity. If what I have spoke is not according to your will, would you wipe it from our memories? Simply clear it from our memories. Father, I never want to teach or to say anything against your will certainly don't want our church to be a church that would embrace that kind of theology or that kind of information. But Father, if I've spoke the truth today, if the words I presented were Your will, would You burn those into our hearts? Would You place a burden on our hearts that we could never escape? Father, would You give us such a desire to live this truth out that it would just be a tremendous burden in our lives that we could never escape. Father, our hope and our prayer is is that everything we, we do would glorify You. We want to be known as a church that does that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.